strengthen us and help us as we take the next step in our, our church, as we attempt to do more, accomplish more, take, take our church to the next level. Lord, I pray that you'd be with Fellowship Baptist Church at this time. Many people are hurting. Many people are discouraged, upset. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those dear people. Help us to be a blessing to them. Lord, help us to pray for them that a church may be saved and preserved. Lord, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter number 5. And last week, if you remember, we dealt with the Beatitudes. We dealt with the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. And I consider the Beatitudes the really the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember that, we studied those uh, different things. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We went through that list and studied that out and, and went through it. And you got to understand, the Sermon on the Mount is a very famous sermon in the book of Matthew, especially uh, verses, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it was, this was one sermon that Jesus Christ gave. We're going to spend a few weeks studying through this. We're probably going to be in Matthew 5 this week and next week. And we'll go through chapter 6 and chapter 7. We're going to take some time going through the Sermon on the Mount. Once we get out of these chapters, we may go a little faster because we're going to be going through stories in the book of Matthew. Uh, and, you know, I always ask myself, you know, do I really want to spend this much time in one chapter? But I, I always think to myself, I'm probably not going to preach through the book of Matthew until like another 20 years from now or something. So we might as well take the time and learn it now. But I want you to, uh, I want you to see something interesting in chapter 5. Once you get out of the Beatitudes, you get to verse 13. And I want you to make note of these two words. It says, ye are, you see those two words, ye are the salt of the earth. Look down at verse number 14. He says, ye are the light of the world. So he spends two verses telling us what we are. Then he spends the rest of the passage really going through and talking about the law and our relationship with the law. And he keeps going through and saying these things. Ye have heard. But I say unto you. He says, ye have heard this and that. But I say unto you. It hath been said. But I say unto you. And we're going to deal with those ye have heard next week. But tonight, I want to deal with uh, these two things that the Bible says, that Jesus said. He says, ye are, if you look down at verse 13, the salt of the earth. And in verse 14, he says, ye are the light of the world. Jesus said that you and I are to be salt and we are to be light to this world. And I want to talk about that as quickly as we can tonight. Number one, ye are the salt of the earth. Uh, if you look at verse 13 again, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost a savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under uh, foot of men. So Jesus said, and here's what you understand, a Christian or Christians are to minister to this world as salt. Now you may ask, how exactly do you and I minister as salt? Keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 5, that's the text for tonight, but go to Numbers chapter number 18. Numbers in the Old Testament chapter number 18. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter number 18. And I want you to see something about this concept of salt. Numbers chapter number 18. This concept of salt Numbers 18.19, Numbers 18.19, the Bible says, all, heaven, all the heave offerings of the holy things, 
which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord, have I given thee for thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statue forever. It is a covenant. I want you to make note of these of this phrase. It is a covenant of salt. Now make note of this word. Forever. You see that word forever there? It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. So here you have God talking about the sacrifice. And by the way, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, God told them, you are to season them with salt. He said, put salt on those sacrifices when you offer them to God. And here he tells us that when they did that, it was a covenant the word covenant is, is coming in agreement or coming in almost like a contract with God. He says it's a covenant of salt. And here's the key word. You've got to understand this. The, the word that is associated with this phrase covenant of salt is forever. Alright? Go to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter number 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 13. You're in Numbers. 2 Chronicles. You can find those... 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Find those books that have the 1's and the 2's in front of it. And get to 2nd Chronicles chapter 13. Now let me give you a little bit of the context of 2nd Chronicles 13. If you remember, God took the kingdom. Remember the first king of Israel was Saul. And God took the kingdom from Saul because Saul had rebellion and Saul did not do what God asked him to do. And God took the kingdom from Saul and he gave it to, to, to David. You remember he gave the kingdom to David, a man after God's own heart. Now the difference between how God gave the kingdom to Saul and how God gave the kingdom to David is that he took the kingdom from Saul because of his rebellion. But God made a promise to David that he would never take the kingdom from him. That his, David would always have a descendant to sit on his throne forever. And obviously, if you remember Matthew chapter 1... We started out the fact that Jesus Christ is a direct descendant of David. And at the millennial reign, guess what? Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David, just like God said. Amen. Actually, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but if you you, read, you, you finish your nine chapters a day, right? You finish your New Testament. So as you go through and, finish your, and, and read your Old Testament for the rest of the year, you got to keep in mind that as you're going through, do you remember, you, you get the kingdom, right? You get Saul, you get David, you get Solomon... Solomon was David's son. After Solomon, the kingdom splits in two. The son of Solomon was in rebellion as well. And God decided to take the kingdom. Actually, it was a, it was a judgment on Solomon. But God took the kingdom from David, but he split the kingdom in two. And you have now the northern kingdom and so the southern kingdom. Okay? Why did God split the kingdom in two? Because here's the thing. God wanted to take the kingdom from David, from David's son, but God had promised David that he would never take his son. So here's what he did. He took ten, he gave ten tribes to the northern kingdom, and he allowed David to, and his sons to continue to reign over the southern kingdom of Judah. Does that make sense? The reason you have two kingdoms is because God promised that he would never take the kingdom from David. So when God finally wanted to take it from his son, he said, well, I'm not going to take it completely. I'm going to divide the kingdom, and you can have this part, and they'll have this part. That's, that's the reason you have it. It's a promise that God made. I said all that to say this. Second Chronicles 13, verse 5. Here you have, uh, they're talking about David. Now look what it says. Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David? Make note of this word, forever. Do you see that? Even to him, to his sons, by, look what it says, a covenant of salt. Do you see that? 
Every time you hear about a covenant of salt, every time you hear about Saul, God associates His word with it forever. He said, I gave a kingdom to David. I made a covenant of salt forever. He said, when you do your sacrifices, there will be a covenant of salt before the Lord forever. And you, got, you say, why is that word associated with, with, with the covenant of salt? Well, here's what you've got to understand. Throughout, even throughout history, not, let's not even talk about the Bible, just throughout history, before modern technology, before refrigeration, salt has always been used to preserve food. Salt is used to preserve something. And God uses that analogy there, and He says, I'm going to make a covenant of salt with you. He said, I'm going to preserve. For David, it was his kingdom. I'm going to preserve your kingdom. But see, when God preserves something, it's forever. You understand that? So, salt has to do with the preservation of something. Now, the Bible says that you and I... Go, go to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to try to explain this to you. The Bible says, ye are the salt. Of the earth. What does that mean? It means that you and I individually, as believers, each one of us is the salt. And what does salt do? It keeps something. In these cases, it kept it forever. It is our job. Do you understand that it is our job as Christians to preserve this earth, to keep it from perishing, to keep it from corrupting. To keep it from going back. See, you got to understand this. The only thing that stands in the way between wicked men just doing wicked things and living ungodly and this world just going off the deep end is the force of Christianity on this earth fighting the battles of God and righteousness. It is not Obama with his little presidential speech that he gives that keeps this world turning or keeps it going or keeps it upside right. The only thing that keeps this country, you know, just under the grace of God is the fact that there are Christians that are preaching the gospel, that are preaching the Bible, that are attempting to preserve this nation. That's what the Bible says. Are you there in Genesis chapter 18? Look at verse 23. Do you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Mm -hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom, horrible city, filled with sodomites, homosexuals, God hated it, God wanted to destroy them, but here's what you got to understand, okay? But we get, you know, we, we get off on Tom and Gomorrah, and we should. It was a wicked city with wicked sin, and we should stand against it. But you got to understand this. Why was Sodom destroyed? You say, it was because of the Sodomites. No. It was because of a lack of salt. Are you there in Genesis 18? Look at verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, remember, God said to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham drew near and said, look what he says, Will thou also destroy the righteous, those are the believers, with the wicked? He said, look, are you going to destroy the saved people in the city with the unsaved? Now look at verse 24. Peradventure. The word peradventure means perhaps. Abraham starts to uh, negotiate with God. He says, peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. He says, look, God, if there was 50 saved people in the city of Sodom, would thou also destroy and not spare the place of the 50 righteous that are therein? Now notice God's response, verse 25. That be far from thee, to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of the earth do right, verse 26. And the Lord said, notice God's response, well, look what he says. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place of their, for their sakes. You see that? Wicked Sodom! Sodomites and the filth that was going on. But here's the thing. If there would have been 50 righteous people in that city, God said, I would have spared it for the 50. 
He said, a covenant, he said, I, he said, I would make a covenant of salt. He said, I would even preserve Sodom if there was enough salt there because 50 righteous are to be the salt of the earth. Now look at verse 27. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Abraham starts thinking about this and realizing, wait a minute. I know Lot. There's probably not 50 saved people over there. Verse 28. See, Lot was like some of you. He didn't show up for soul winning. Verse 28. Peradventure, look what he says. There shall lack five of the 50 right. So now he's going to go, now he's saying, well, okay, God, well, what if there's, what, what if there's five missing of those 50? What if there lack five of the fifty righteous? Will thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, Notice what God says. If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy. He said, Okay, there's forty five, I won't destroy. He said, I'll spare the city. He said, I'll preserve it for forty five. Verse twenty nine. And he begged them yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. Notice how he keeps going down. And he said, Now notice what God says. I will not do it for forty saved. Verse 30. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall 30 be found there. He was going down by 5, now he's going down by 10. What if I can only find 30? And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Behold, now I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten sake. Now notice, conversation's done, verse 33. God doesn't wait for Abraham to drop it down to five. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communion with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. This is what you understand, okay? And I hope, I hope I, 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 I can have the eloquence to explain this to you. The covenant of salt is the promise that God makes when he says, for this amount of people, and I don't know what that is, and neither do you, for this amount of people, I will spare the wickedness of a nation. And for Sodom, guess what? The magic number was ten. God said, I would spare Sodom and Gomorrah with all the filth, with all the sin, with all the wickedness that's done there. If there would only be ten saved people in the whole city. But guess what? There was not ten saved people in the whole city. God destroyed it. Do you, do you realize this? If Lot would have just got his family saved, there would have been more than ten people there. You understand this? There is a covenant of salt. I believe, you, you, you don't think the judgment of God is upon America? With 3,000 children being aborted every day? With the sodomites just running rampant and, and just being accepted as normal? With the amount of alcohol and drugs and fornication and the filth that comes out of this country? And there used to be a time when America was sending out the gospel into the world. You know what it's sending out today? Pornography. You know what it's sending out today? Hollywood filth. You know what it's sending out today? It's corrupting this world. The judge, he said, well, what is the, why has God not destroyed America? I believe because there's some Christians here that God says, well, as long as there's X amount, I'll spare it. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. As soon as you go below that number, guess what happens? The judgment of God. Mm-hmm. So I need to go soul winning. You say, why? To save this country. Mm-hmm. And think about this. The tribulation. What is the tribulation? The Antichrist killing Christians. You say, what, what, what finally gets God to, to, to just decide, okay, I'm gonna, 
I'm done now. Let's go ahead and destroy the earth. What does it? I believe eventually they kill off so many Christians that you go before below that number. That covenant of salt. God has a number. He says, as long as there's as many Christians on earth, I'll, I'll spare. And as soon as you kill off that many Christians, he says, okay, we're done. Let's destroy it. It happened to Sodom. You don't think it happened to America? You don't think it happened to the United States of America? You don't think it happened to the world? I'm just telling you, the covenant of salt is this. It is you and I, as Christians, living righteously, preserving the nation. Let me show you something interesting. Go to Genesis 19. Okay, who was to be the covenant of salt in Sodom? Who was to be the salt in Sodom? Lot and his wife and his kids. But they were not the salt. They lost their savor. They were living amongst the world. They were watching the same things that the world was watching. So did they have to be back then? Well, the Bible says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He was watching the same things they were watching. He was going the same places they were going. He was living the same lifestyle they were living. He wasn't very good at being sought. And here's what I think is interesting. Genesis 19, look at verse 24. Genesis 19, 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He destroyed the city. And He overthrew those cities, and all the plain, and all the inhabitants of the city, and at that which uh, grew upon the ground. Here was the problem with Lot and his family, is that they loved the world. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For any man that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at verse 26. God is destroying Sodom, and his wife, Lot's wife, is so in love, because the angel says, don't look back. And by the way, whenever you leave the world, you should never look back. Amen. The angel says, don't look back. Just leave. Just get out of here. Don't look back. But his wife, she loved the world so much. Verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind. I mean, she just loved it so much. She said, I just got to get one last look. And what did God do to her? You guessed it. And she became a pillar of what? Salt. See, she refused to live like salt, so God made her a pillar of salt. See, there is a covenant of salt. Your job and my job is to live as salt to preserve this world. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. The problem is this. When the salt doesn't want to do its job. Matthew 5.13, look what it says. Ye are the salt of the earth. But, here's the problem. If the salt have lost his savor, if the salt is no longer salty, <laughs> that's what it's saying. The word savor means taste. So those of you who speak Spanish, you know the Spanish word for savor, you know, for taste is sabor. It comes from the same root word, savor. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, look what it says. Wherewith shall it be salted? Look, here, here's what he's saying. If Christians are living like the world, if Christians are living like the devil, if Christians are living like hell, he says, if Christians are living in sin, if Christians are in bondage, he's like, wherewith shall it be salted? He said, what are you going to do? And the only hope we, th- this world has is Christianity. And if Christians can't live a separated life, what are you going to do? He said, wherewith shall it be salted? And look at what it says here. You've you got to understand this. If you're not preserving, if you're not doing... See, you've got to understand this. Our job is to hold back the judgment of God. You want to know why fornication is accepted today in our society? It used to be a, uh, there used to be a time when a man and a woman shacking up before they were married and having physical relationships before, people would look down at that. People would say, that is sinful, that is wicked, that is wrong. Parents would not, but today it's just normal. Today it's just like, yeah, I mean, of course you're going to, you know, have physical relationships before you get married. You know, you know the reason that fornication is so accepted today? It's no big deal. You're weird. 
It, you know, Pastor Minister stands up and, and, and preaches and tells these kids that when you walk down an aisle on the day of your marriage, you ought to walk down a virgin, young men and young women. You ought to walk down clean. You ought, you, it, not, it, it ought not be a lie that you're wearing a white dress. A white dress is supposed to represent your purity. And I'm all for you wearing, ladies wearing a white dress when they're getting married. But if we were honest, most women would be walking down the aisle wearing a white dress with a, a lot of holes in it. It'd be like a brown dress. A gray dress at best. I, I'm just telling you. You say, well, why is fornication so accepted? Because it's accepted amongst Christianity. Christians are fornicating. Look, if the salt have lost its savor, where would salt be salt? If you can't even get Christians to stop fornicating, how are you going to teach the world to stop doing it? What's the reason divorce is accepted in our society? Today, 60% of marriages end divorce. Today, you say, Pastor Man, I get so tired of hearing you say that. 60% of marriages end divorce. Look, it's important. That means that children are being raised without a dad in the home. Right. People say, well, it's better for uh, children to live in a home where there's no arguing. That is a lie out of hell. Amen. The Bible teaches and it's statistically proven that it is better for a child to live with mom and dad at home, even if mom and dad are just fighting all day every day. It's better for them. Then the kids were not made to be raised without a dad at home. But why is it accepted today to just have a kid, have no dad around, just get divorced, just sleep around? It's no big deal because Christians do it. Christians accept it. Pastors don't preach against it. So if the loss of if the salt of loss is saved, where would salt be salty? You know the reason alcohol is accepted today? Because the average pastor drinks alcohol, that's why. You want to know why? You know, people don't preach against TV because every pastor has a, whole, a TV in their house. And it's watching film. Do you know why sodomy is accepted and homosexuality is accepted and you can't stand up and say that it is wrong and it is filthy and it is wicked and, and, and it not? But you know why? Because the average pastor does not stand up behind their pulpit and preach against it. If Christians stood up and just said, you know what, the Bible says it's wrong, and if we started acting like salt, do you know that there's less than 1% of homosexuals in this country? People, are, you, you say, well, I thought, man, I thought it was like 50% of society was homosexual. No. Your little TV show makes you think that. That's right. Your little queer eye for the straight guy makes you think that. I don't know. That's not even on TV, I'm sure. But it's not true. And you know what? If Christians just got back to Christianity and just got back to what the Bible says and just got back to saying, you know what? I'm salt. You ever put salt on a wound? You know what it does? It stings. Every time I come to church, I just feel like I sing. That's because you, you welcome to Salt Baptist Church. <laughs> See, you've been going to non-savory Baptist Church. You've been going to watered-down Baptist Church. That's the problem. <laughs> but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Now listen to this. Look at verse 13. Matthew 5, 13. You hear the salt of the earth? But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Notice this. It is henceforth good for nothing. Let me ask you a question. Are you a good for nothing Christian? I don't like you saying that. I didn't say it. Jesus did. It is henceforth good for nothing. You sit there and you listen to the same music the world listens to and you do the same things the world does and you talk like the world and you, you, know, you, you just sin like the world and you party like the world and you drink like the world. I'm here to tell you, you are a good for nothing Christian. You say, you, you be a good for nothing. Well, you're not salting anything. You're not preserving anything. And God says, I have no need for you. So what, what can I do with, with, uh, with Job's uh, wife? I'll turn into a pillar of salt. At least I'll get some salt out of her. It is henceforth good for nothing. But to be cast out. To be trodden under foot of man. He says, ye are the light of the world. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. Let me ask you a question. Are you salting? 
What are you preserving? What are you standing against? Look at Matthew 5.14. E, we said number one, ye are the salt of the earth. Number two, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now you got to understand this, okay? Keep your finger in Matthew 5. Go to John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. This, this type of preaching is not popular today. But you know what? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. John 8.12, what does the Bible says? John 8.12. John chapter number 8. You're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 8.12, the Bible says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, look what he says, this is what Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You got to understand this. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The response to that is, men love darkness rather than light. Who's the light? Jesus. They'd rather be in darkness without Christ. Why? Because their deeds are evil. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Go back to Matthew 5.14. I don't just say this. Ye are the light of the world. Actually, you know what? Go, go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. You should have your finger in Matthew 5, but go to 2 Corinthians. I, I, let me just explain. I, I'm almost done. I really am. I'm not going very long tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Now, if I were you, I'd keep your finger in 2 Corinthians, or I'd put something in 2 Corinthians, because we're going to be coming back uh, to it. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want you to see this, okay? What is the light of salt? What was salt associated with? Preserving. Keeping from corrupting. Keeping from perishing. Keeping from just getting destroyed. That's what salt associated What is light associated with? Look, are you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Look at verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, the word lest is means, unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Do you see that? Who is the image of God should shine unto them. The light represents with our witnessing. It represents the glorious gospel of Christ. Okay? Ye are the light of the world means that we are to go. See, the world is in darkness. The world needs the light. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. Acts 13. Look at verse 47. Acts 13, verse 47. Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 47. Acts chapter number 13 and verse 47. The Bible says... Acts 13.47 For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Do you see that? He said, I set you to be a light. Why? For salvation unto the ends of the earth. Go to Acts 26. Look at verse 18. Acts 26. Verse number 18. Acts 26. Verse number 18. The Bible says, Acts 26, verse 18. It says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. See, the purpose of being a light is to turn people from darkness to light. It's to show them the light. And really, Jesus is the light. It's His light shining through us. And we are the light of the world. Now, now go, go, go to Matthew 5. Look at verse 15. You are the light of the world, right? Matthew 5, 15. Here's the problem. What was the problem with salt when it didn't want to do its job? What's the problem with light when it doesn't want to do its job? Look at verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel 
but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let me, let me read that again, and we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians. I want, I want to show you something. And we're almost done. Neither do men light a candle, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You were just there, but go back there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here's what Jesus is saying. If I light a candle... What would be the purpose of me taking a candle and then putting a bushel on it or put, putting it under a bushel or under a candlestick and hiding the light? He said that would be exactly doing the opposite of what the light's purpose was for. The purpose of the light was to shine. And you know what? When you got saved, the Bible says you became salt, but it also says you became light, and the purpose of your light is to shine... The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is to preach the gospel. It's to get people saved. It's to go to those that are in darkness, those that are in bondage, those that are in the power of Satan, and bring them to the power of God. Now here's the thing. Are you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, like verse 3? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, that's a lie, it is hid to them that are lost. See, a Christian that does not witness, a Christian that does not win souls, a Christian that does not preach the gospel, a Christian that does not share their faith, a Christian that never tells anybody else about the light, is someone who's, who's not fulfilling their purpose in life. Because your whole purpose is to shine. Have you ever thought about this? Why doesn't God, when He saves you, why doesn't He just kill you right then and take you down? Wouldn't that be better? I mean, I just, I got saved. Jesus, forgive me my sins. Give me eternal life. Amen. Dead. Go to heaven. Why does he keep you on earth? Because here's the thing. Someone gave you the gospel. Someone gave you the gospel so you could get saved. And someone gave that person the gospel so they could get saved. And someone gave that person the gospel so they could get saved. And someone gave that person, and look, you track that down all the way back to Paul, Peter, Jesus, John the Baptist. Are you a good for nothing Christian? I have the life, but I'm not going to... No, I'm, Pastor, I'm not going to tell my neighbor. I mean, they're going to think I'm weird. I'm not going to tell my co-workers. I'm not going to tell my friends. I'm not, you, you want me to what? Go out knocking on doors? A perfect stranger? What are they going to think of me? Why do you care what a stranger thinks of you? Why don't you care what Jesus thinks of you? You're the light of the world. If you're not shining your light, then what is the point? But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, 16. I want you to see this. And we're done right here. We're just going to look at these few verses tonight. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, liberals like to take this verse and they'll say, we don't need confrontational soul winning. We don't need to go and knock on people's doors and confront them with the gospel. Then read, read your Bible, buddy. Because the Bible says that Jesus sent them out two by two into the highways and hedges. Compelling them to come in. Right. But they like to take this verse, the liberals. We, we believe, if I, were, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard this, I mean, I could have financed the $10,000. Here's what the liberals say. We don't believe in confronting people with the gospel. We just believe that if, if we live uh, the light, if we're just the light, if we just shine, then people will see our good works. And then they'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And these are the same liberals that tell you that you can drink sociably, tell you that it's okay to fornicate, don't preach against any sin. Now here's the thing, look at the verse. Let your light so shine before men, comma, do you see that? That they may see your good works, comma, do you see that? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
When you have a sentence and you put a phrase between commas, you're, you're making that almost a parenthetical statement. Here's what I mean by that. The statement is there, but it's not needed to keep the sentence structure going. Does that make sense? See, the liberal says this, let your light so shine before men, and then they're going to see your good works, and then they're going to glorify your Father, which is them. The problem is, it doesn't say, and then. It says, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works. But seeing your good works has nothing to do with glorifying your Father's heaven. Really, and we understand it's God's word, but if you remove that phrase and just said this, let your light so shine before men, and glorify your Father, which is in heaven, that would be an accurate statement. You don't let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works. Who cares if they see your good works? You, you let your light so shine before men because it glorifies your Father. That's why. That's right, that's right. And by the way, you've never had an unbeliever walk up to you and say, I was watching you mow the lawn and you mowed the lawn just like Jesus would. What would what, what must I do to be saved? Are you crazy? <laughs> Liberals say, well, they'll watch you. Your neighbors will watch you. And then they're going to come up to you and they're going to ask you, you know, I've never had a neighbor come to me. I was watching you unload those groceries. I just saw the power of God on your life. I, I've never, look, I've never had anybody say that, said to me, I was, I was watching you, you know, you were taking the trash out to the corner, and I just saw the love of Jesus in you. Will you please show me how to be saved? But you know, I've had literally thousands of people get saved when I walk up to them and said, hey, do you know if you died today, would you go to heaven? No, I don't know. Can I show you that from the Bible? Sure. You're a sinner. Let me show you what the Bible says. And then they bow their head and ask you to save them. Why? Because preaching the gospel is opening your mouth. Preaching the gospel is not letting your light so shine before men. They're going to see your good works, but you let your light so shine. Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men.